The Tulane Executive MBA program provided me with a perfect combination of soft skills and the confidence necessary to run my biotech company. My name is Trivia Frazier. I'm the president and CEO of Obatala Sciences Incorporated. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you spend any time online, and especially on social media, you've no doubt noticed what's going on with personalized advertisements. Ads seem to be getting increasingly specific targeted and timely. We used to be able to explain this by assuming Google knew what we were searching for and was selling our search information to advertisers. Then it started looking like advertisers were reading our email. And today, personalized ad targeting has gotten so specialized that we've begun to wonder if our phones and other voice-activated devices are listening to us. Whether or not they are, the truth of what is going on with online marketing is even more unsettling. Online marketing people are reading our minds. For real. Thanks to artificial intelligence or AI. When applied to marketing, AI knows when you want to buy a product before you do. This is not some sort of futuristic science fiction. It is science, but it's not fiction. And it's not the future. It's here now. Perhaps surprisingly, one of the leaders in this field of AI marketing is from Lafayette. His name is Frankie Russo. Frankie's venture capital company, Russo Capital, invests in startups, and Frankie is founder and CEO of the AI marketing company, 360IA. Frankie Russo, welcome to New Orleans, and welcome out to lunch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Whether an automated bot decides it's time for you to buy something new or you decide it's that for yourself, you're still going to need money to buy it with. For most of us, the only way to get money is by having a job. Latest estimates are show that about 50% of us work in a small business. And if you're part of that 50%, you know that the way you get hired and get trained on a job in a small business is very different from the way you get hired and trained at a bigger company. And if you own a small business, you know that hiring good people and retaining them can be a major headache and a drain on resources, which is where a company called HR NOLA comes in. HR NOLA steps in for just a few weeks, days, or even hours to give small businesses an HR department with the same advantages of big businesses. The founder and CEO of HR NOLA is Amy Baquet. Amy, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, Frankie, when I go to Walgreens, I use my loyalty card, so Walgreens knows that around every 60 days, I buy the same shampoo. When it gets to 65 days and I haven't bought shampoo, I'm not really surprised to get an email coupon from Walgreens with a dollar off the shampoo price and try to get me back into the store. What is a great deal more unsettling is when I'm thinking, I wonder how much the note would be on a new Subaru and car financing ads show up in my Facebook feed. 
This is not a hypothetical example. It's actually happening. As one of the people responsible for this apparent mind-reading marketing, I'm not asking you to give away any trade secrets or anything like that, but can you please explain to us how this is happening? <clears throat> <laughs> All right, cool. It's mostly uh, black magic. Oh, good. good. That's what no. I'm hoping. Yeah, so there's a lot of like dark ages stuff that we had to bring kind of into the forefront and figure out how to make that. Into you're technology. All, you're all dressed in black. I yeah, was kind so of hoping this would work. Beyond out. beyond that and the seances and whatnot, as far as how we know what we know, um, the truth is there's massive amounts of data now that's available on each one of us, and the the other piece that's happened is that because of machine learning and because of AI. We're able to learn and make decisions and understand the data in a whole different way. So AI, for me, growing up, I, I always loved robots. Always would buy the, the robots, and I grew up in the 80s, so you know they didn't do much. They would bump into a wall and then turn around and <laughs> say something. Uh, but I would always take them apart to try and make them a better robot, which, honestly, I didn't, didn't really do that well. But I was always intrigued by it. <clears throat> so, you know, when I thought of artificial intelligence, I've always thought of it as like somebody that we could talk to, have a relationship with, and what you've seen in a lot of the movies. But the truth is, we're not really to that level of artificial intelligence yet, um, which is probably a good thing. But the, the real artificial intelligence that you hear about, in, in, especially in business, is, is mostly sophisticated machine learning. But if you think about if there are thousands and thousands of all these different data points that that these databases have about you. Um, for example, you talked about the Walgreens experience. That's one. Think of having two or 3,000 of those points and then putting those together based on all the behaviors that surround that. So when you're looking at a lot of different things that are happening, not the least of which is what you're doing on, on the, online. So a, a lot of what ends up happening is the online piece is, is giving us a lot of even more data, what you're doing online, what you're doing on your phone, that's part of it. But the truth is there's so many different pieces surrounding what goes into our everyday experience now that we're using so many different devices. It's more data than a human can get through. But with machine learning and all the data available, it's allowed for us to put models together that are becoming very precise on when someone is probably giving up on their existing car or could be considering giving up on their existing car because that's a lot of people think that the first step in buying a car is go shopping or decide you want to buy it's not a car. it's having frank <clears throat> listen to your conversation actually it's a, it's <laughs> before frank listens okay. to the conversation right before that you have to have been you have to have given up on your existing car and so there's a lot around that piece as well and you can see that in, there's a lot of different ways and without getting too deep into the weeds you can kind of let your mind wander, but that's how it's happening. It, it is a math equation. It's not an exact science, but it's getting more exact. Well, Amy, uh, I could ask you these questions. I need to know these, but of course, Frankie already knows these answers. But we frequently hear from employers that two of the biggest and most persistent problems they face are hiring and retention. In other words, finding good people and making the workplace rewarding and enjoyable enough so that once you've hired them, they won't leave. Hiring is time-consuming and easy to get wrong, so I can see how a small business could use HR, NOLA, 
as their outsourced HR department in the hiring process. What's not so obvious is how you help a small business retain employees. What is your role as HR professionals once a small business has a good permanent staff? Well, I think we look at it in kind of two different uh, buckets. There is a culture and there's compliance. And both of them carry, uh, I would say, significant weight, um, equal weighting, if you will. From a compliance perspective, uh, your compliance with state and federal employment law starts at the very first employee you hire. And so whether you employ one person or 1,000, there are rules and regulations uh, that you have to follow. So from an employee, uh, I call it the employee life cycle, so from hire to retire. Um, on the beginning, there are rules and regulations in place that say when you hire someone, you must have these types of forms completed in this way. They should be stored in this manner. There are, are, are um, certain thresholds along the way as well. So as you grew from one employee to, I'd say the next threshold is say 15. You have 15 employees, now you have to comply with these rules. Now you have 25 employees, oh, now we have these rules. So the you, rules themselves change. They do, and there's more and more compliance that goes with that. Once you hit 50 employees, you now have to comply with FMLA. Um, and it's a family medical leave act, oh. and so you have to hold someone's job for them Sounds when they like go out on leave. Yeah. yeah, and so then I think the next the next threshold after 50 is 100. So where we see a lot of the compliance issues is typically around that 25 employee threshold and up. You might can manage a handful of people on your own, but as you uh, continue to grow the business, you don't know what you don't know. And, and that's what we see more and more of. Did you know you have to comply with Title VII when you have 15 employees? So the other bucket I reference is culture. So from a retaining standpoint, you've got all the compliance under wraps, you've hired everyone in. Now, what type of culture are you building or have you built? This in? is beyond putting ping pong tables in. Absolutely. And it's so much more. You, you automatically. What do you mean? You, what, you, what's beyond that? <laughs> <laughs> Smoothie machines, of right. course, right? Okay, gotcha. we're done. Right. <laughs> um, and it's so much more than that. So you culture starts from the very first employee as well. So you surround yourselves with people that are, that are going to adhere to your vision and your mission and your values. And when you're making those wrong hires that don't fit in with that, um, you get a little bit into that compliance territory where now we've got to exit them. Um, but getting back to that culture to retain them, they have to be a good fit for you. You have to be a good fit for them. Um, employees change jobs these days 12 times in their lifetime on average, ah. 12 times. Now, I've noticed something. I looked up the research and no employees ever left your firm alive. No, no, it just says left your firm. No left the firm. They, uh, so, they, so you're doing the right stuff at home, I guess. That's, yeah, yeah. That's pretty great. Absolutely. And so if you look at it in both of those buckets, having someone who's knowledgeable about the employment laws that govern your business and your industry, along with having someone who, what I would say, gets you and gets what you're all about and understands what you're trying to do and the type of people you want to surround yourself with, um, that's where your, your HR person comes into play with the long-term retention um, and building off that culture, uh, training your employees so we lessen the skills gaps. Um, if people are, you know, along with that 12 times more likely, and I just, I, I teach at Tulane in the master's program and I authored a course on HR and so yeah I'm an HR geek I'm one of those people um, and so <laughs> I was talking to them the other day and and we did this research project 59% of the people we polled said they would leave their job or another job today just like that 
where else would I host? So who's really minding don't. the no, shop, no. right? <laughs> you can't, as a, as a CEO and founder, you can't do everything yourself. No. And yeah. so putting someone else in charge of minding the shop is really, really important. And Frankie, who, and I was, I was, when I was looking at the research, I thought, who are your, your clients? Are they the companies that are selling the product or is it, you know, marketing, media companies? Where, where do you go? Yeah, so ironically enough, it's 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 a little of both. So the the fact is is that our our software and our program is designed for small and medium businesses. But what's happened is we've created a um, kind of an alternative distribution model by allowing advertising agencies, marketing agencies, and broadcast companies like TV and radio stations to um, some cases white label it or co-brand the software and the, the program so that they can resell it. <clears throat> the end user is a small and medium business. Um, a lot of times uh, we've done really well with the car business because the nature of the life cycle of a car is, is actually fairly standardized. So it's been easier to get that intelligent uh, automation that we talk about. Now that I get you here, how long do people keep a car? It depends. Uh, if a lot of people, nowadays it's becoming shorter and shorter, um, especially with leasing and, and then now that renting is a thing. Um, it's not as fully developed yet, but renting cars is the future, where you'll be able to just pay a subscription fee and swap out your car as often as you like. That's already been tested in a lot of markets, um, which is basically like a, a light version of leasing. And so that, but that's, it's becoming more and more of a, this like disposable commodity almost. One thing I wanted to ask is these, uh, the, your clients, do they get it? I mean, you're kind of out of the box, not traditional. Well, they do, and they get it because everything that, what we do is we didn't invent machine learning, okay, or AI. What we've tried to do is take that and make it available to the small and medium business, okay? Because the large companies that, you know, Fortune 500s and top 100 companies in this country have had access to that kind of stuff for a long time. They say that data is the, the new oil. Have you heard this? No, yeah. I'm ready. Data is the new oil. By the and way. you're in Lafayette, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <As> I, <laughs> Thank God there's some oil that I can find because I'm not getting the regular oil. But anyway, uh, the fact is, is that these small companies, they, they can't, nor do they need to afford, like, let's say, like a big rig or like some sort of platform out in the Gulf, right? All they need is one of those, like, you know, those in, in the backyard, you got those things that go up and down. Yeah, those pump those, jacks. Yeah. yeah, a little pump yeah. jack. That's what we are. We basically uh -huh. are figuring out ways to give access to the smaller businesses and medium businesses, and, and we do it in ways that make sense to them. And I, think Amy, we're, I think we're the same I way. was going to say, this is all I can think of. <laughs> you're trying to bring... I might be the new oil as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> no, well, people. People are... are people are the, the new, new oil. oil. Yeah. Oh, well, you another great bumper You sticker. said two things, because... In very similar fashion where you say renting cars is the future. Mm -hmm. It's very similar what we're seeing from a people perspective where we're moving into this gig economy and more and more outsourcing is happening. So in a way, you're like renting employees yeah. oftentimes. Um, you're renting them for short periods of time. Someone's got to manage those regulations around that. But oftentimes, that's that's where we're moving more uh, contract labor. Finding ways to do that. I mean, I definitely, it's, it is interesting because it's it's we're at about 100 employees and, and, and we're at a place where, you know, both the culture and compliance are, are a constant thing. Yeah. And you, you have to kind of be realistic as a business owner and a founder. Like, and I know for me, I've been in business for 15 years, which is not a ton of years, but it's enough to get to a point where like, if an employee leaves, like, 
I'm not going to chase them out the door, but I'm going to have some good conversations with them about it. I'm going to find out what's going on. Why are they leaving? Is is there really something that they should be leaving about? Sure. <clears throat> do you do that, by something the way? Something we can I overcome. Mean, uh, exit interviews? I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of exit interviews, but I'm a bigger fan of stay interviews. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Exit interviews are really important to understand why they're leaving, but when they're leaving, they're already out the door. Yeah. yeah. Um, stay interviews are when you go to your very best talent and say, why do you come here every day? Mm-hmm. Why do you love us? Why have you been working here for three years? What are we doing that's working for you and your family? Um, and understanding from that, that might say, well, I come here every day because it's unlimited PTO, pay time off. Or I come here every day because you don't pay me very well, but I really like this guy. And you've got beanbags and smoothie machines and ping pong ah. tables. Um, or and it it's could, never the same thing. It can never for different be. People. Yeah, and sometimes it's so something you, small. Yeah, and you can't <laughs> just take a, I think it's more of a holistic approach. You yeah. can't do one thing. It's no one size fits all. Um, mm-hmm. But the stay interview, I think, is really talking about the the future. It is going to the people who are your best talent and saying, "Why do you keep coming back here? We're very grateful, but like why?" That. Um, and I documenting like that. that, and then putting plans in place to keep those people coming yeah. back. But you that's actually great. do something that's really really important. Is if you look at lawsuits for companies, it's usually the HR. It's some sort of situation like that, and you're trying to set up so these things don't happen. Sure. We, um, we're, we're far less expensive than an, an employment attorney. And uh, I, I like to be more, I'd say, proactive than reactive. Uh, on the compliance side, the average lawsuit takes about $125,000 to settle. Whoa. And if it, you said something earlier that resonated with me as well, some of those small guys <laughs> don't need sorry, the big, Frankie, the big guys. They just need the small thing in the back, right? What did you call it? The the um, oh, the, the pump small, shack? yeah, the pump yeah. shack. Uh, it, it's the same way with us. A lot, you know, a small business with 50 employees doesn't need a senior certified full-time HR professional that makes $85,000 a year. Right. You don't need that, but you do need access to someone like that when you need it. Yeah. And so to have someone, whether it is, as you, as you said in the opening, for a few hours per month um, that you can call and say, I have a situation brewing. How do you think I should handle this? That's a far cheaper conversation than sitting in an EEOC mediation six months down the road. And you have things that, you know, would not have been in the job description 20 years ago. Like, trying to show why diversity works, uh, all of the, the cultural me too kind of thing. I mean, you've got to train these people what's, what the rules are. Right? Well, I think that's the, the key. Oftentimes I find that the CEOs and the founders that I work with know the rules and regulations, but eventually you grow so big, you're putting that in the hands of your frontline management team and leadership. And if they're not trained how, how to properly handle someone that comes in and says, um, I need an accommodation for this situation, or he said this to me, and I'm uncomfortable with it. If your frontline manager is not equipped for how to handle that yeah. conversation, um, that's really bad for your business down the road. And frankly, so the, you know when somebody's going to do something bad before they do. So it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah. I a, do anywhere in the world except in my own business. <laughs> Well, and, you, and at my house. <laughs> well, yeah, you're never the champion in your house. Yeah, we're still got to keep it old school at the house. The, the future from a, a data and analytics perspective for HR is, um, is critical. We are doing um, talks often about HR 2020 and HR 2022. And um, people data, big data, small data, people analytics 
if you have access to that before you hire someone, um, making smarter hiring decisions. It's more of a, your, your past behavior will predict future behavior. And so having access to predictive analytics of how someone's going to behave on, on the job. And we're not just talking about personality test, right. but really um, what someone's most natural behaviors could be. We, we utilize a tool called Predictive Index, um, and so we can help businesses understand the person they're hiring before they even come in the door. And then after they're there, understanding analytics of team dynamics and who you should put to work on which projects and which person's not going to make it uh, long term if you keep them in a certain role. That type of data is huge. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Amy Bakke from outsource HR company HR NOLA and Frankie Russo from artificial intelligence marketing company 360 IA. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Amy Bakke from outsource HR company HR NOLA and Frankie Russo from artificial intelligence marketing company 360IA. And Frank, you, you would say that the, uh, the data and the science part is pretty predictive. I mean, is it, you know, 99, are you right 99% of the time or is there? No, you're not right 99% of the time. I mean, you're, you, you, you're trying to close the gap on it, but there's always so many different things that you can't account for in, in humans, okay? Uh, but you don't need to account for everything. If you can, if you're, if you've got a big enough ma- majority that you're predicting, if you're just closing so the, the size gap, of the sample is that what you're thinking? To, to a degree, I mean, yeah. but but you're still the samples on that person though. So it's, it, I'm not saying that you just take a couple of people and then expound that as like that's how these types of people are. I'm saying you have a certain percentage um, of information on that individual that is gonna give you a confidence level. So like in our model, we score each one of these, right. uh, what we call 360 targets. And um, in each one of these scores is, is based on a confidence level that ultimately means that we've got, as we get more and more confirmed pieces of the puzzle on that individual, the score goes up. So, it, it de- so what's interesting about scoring models, and when you're talking about like people and likeliness to, to take action on a certain thing, like make a purchase, the the fact is is that even low scores sometimes doesn't indicate, and this is where it's not a perfect science. It, low scores don't indicate that I'm not that I won't buy. So for example, let's say you're for the most part off the grid. You're still on a flip phone or a pager, okay. right? You don't do social media. You don't have any credit cards. You use all cash. Maybe even just use quarters. I don't. <laughs> so like, it, it's going to be hard to get a big confidence level on like what you're going to do because people are more and less on or off the grid, if you will. Right, so Unabomber would be our extreme here. and the Unabomber may buy a car today. You know, we don't know, (laughs) because he's off the grid. But, so that's kind of where you still have to be realistic about it. At the end of the day, there's still, you know, we're way, way, way away from being able to let machines take it from here. You know, as far as like our everyday life and things like that. But but from a business standpoint, like what she was talking about, indexing people, and and most of that data is coming from the person, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff, it's amazing what, what these machines, if you will, or softwares can do now with that data that goes well beyond, like, the disk score or whatever. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I can see why people would rather do it this way than uh, in-house. I mean, you talk about, like, the $85,000 salary, but when you throw 
benefits in there. It's a much bigger number. It could be like 50% higher than that. And not only that, even with the 85,000 person, I still might have to get a, a consultant or a specialist involved. Because if, sure. if it's, and I, and I can tell you, if something happens, I will be. Yeah. Like if something happens and there's litigation, like I'm not relying on my employee to be the only thing. Absolutely. So it's more preventative medicine than I think it's a great else. service. I definitely, uh, I definitely want you to talk to our people. I can tell you that. We're constantly growing, and it's like we, we, we've got the forms, yeah. and we've got our own ways that we do culture, but, like, you have to keep looking at it. Absolutely. And, like, I've thought a lot about, like, you said gig. I'm, is that kind of like the gig, like a like a music gig? Is that how they're using that term? Sure, sure. Yeah. It's the Ubers. Like, it's the job. The, yeah, the yeah, gig. It's yeah. the yeah. Ubers. So I know I used to be in the music business a long time ago, so it was called a gig. And, and, and you're rural, so you probably gig. gig frogs, so you just want to yeah, clear yeah, yeah. the difference. Sure. <laughs> this is easy problem to solve. Yeah, it all they, comes together. But, <laughs> but it but, is gig for a specific project, if yeah. you will. It's, well, and it's, we have a company in India that I started that is oh. also part of it. There's so many different dynamics, you know, and so, like, to think that, like, at any that for anyone to think that they've got it all sewed up, it's crazy, you right? Know, and it's short-sighted. Well, and, so. and I always say, like, the 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 analogy or the example I would use with folks as they're growing their business, and it, it happens. It happens very often where you've got 20, 25 employees, and now you've you've gotten some, you know, I would say HR under your belt. And there's uh, Judy, our trusty office manager, and she's good with people. So we're going to give her HR. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and yeah. I say, what happens when your kitchen sink breaks? You go to Angie's List, maybe, or you ask your neighbor, do you know of a licensed, certified, experienced plumber? You bring them in to repair your sink. You're not going to just hire Judy to come repair your sink um, if she's not licensed and mm-hmm. certified. And it's the same difference. Like, why would you trust the livelihood and the heart and soul of your company? And no offense to Judy, she's a very right. delightful lady, I'm sure. But why would you just give all of that to Judy? And and knowing that it's so much more important. So when we're working with startups, I certainly don't go in and say, you need someone 40 hours a week. But we do have a, a, a startup package where we're helping them get started. And it's more of a, here's everything, here's your little kit, call me when you need me. If you see things like this, call sooner. And then as they grow and develop mm-hmm. and they're getting, I would say our average business we worked with 40 small businesses this year the average business has about 50 to 65 employees well, let's start with there you you have grown quite a bit and now you're getting close to to going to another city yes so that's pretty and um it's going to be san antonio san antonio texas how, two questions there when did you decide or how did you decide you wanted to take that next step because a lot of people say I'm happy where I am. Sure. And how'd you choose San Antonio? Sure. Just the Spurs, the basketball team? Oh, I do love that basketball team. Um, <laughs> no, it was actually, it was both personal and professional. The, the timing was fantastic. Um, I went through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small oh, business and, program. Yeah, Delgado. That's and perfect. I did. It was a, a great program. So glad to be done with that now. Uh, learned so much about my business. Um, and they really teach you about how to work, you know, on your business and not in your business. Mm-hmm 
as they say. Mm -hmm. So about halfway through, we're trying to identify growth opportunities. And the the uh, initiative behind starting my business was I could just be a, a one-woman shop and be an HR consultant, but I saw so much more potential in this market and a lot of other small uh, markets that are open to small businesses. Yeah, so to say, what is it like, for instance, in San Antonio? Is it there like a lot of startups? Is that kind there of thing? There is. That's, it is a startup mecca. Um, they're the seventh largest city in the country, uh, but the number of startups that are coming into San Antonio, because Austin's filling up, of course, mm. it's just a few hours down the road, um, but San Antonio is very hospitable to small businesses as well so going through the Goldman Sachs program we thought okay I want to grow uh, what sets my consulting business apart I think from others is I can uh, work on your business remotely or what I prefer I call boots on the ground service so if you need support in Lafayette I'm gonna find someone to come support you in Lafayette and there's only so much I can write your handbook from the beach, mm -hmm. um, that's fine. I'll give you the handbook via email. But if you call and say, I've got a workplace investigation I need you to conduct. Um, it's a sensitive situation. Here's the scenario. I want to be there. I want someone on my team to be there, to have face-to-face -face conversations. And I think that's impactful uh, for our retained clients that we have. So when I, I start thinking about expanding outside of New Orleans, I need a market where I can build a team who can be boots on the ground as well. And um, Goldman Sachs helped me identify some great cities around the same time frame. Um, my spouse had a great professional opportunity as well, and they, they kind of came to him and said, here are some cities, and on the list was San Antonio. You can't get lost. Just stay on 10. It's perfect. You go to Carrollton, take a look. It's they, perfect. Uh, it is. Now, Frank, I, this is a very HR-related question for Frankie, really. Um, Lafayette, we, I, uh, <laughs> I love that town. Oh, I can't you know? wait. And I can't wait. I've enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed hanging out there. We have a show over there. Um, but is it a tough market for you to get the, the employees you need? Yeah, it's a good question. So the people that are attracted to our business, um, whether it be um, investors or partners or things like that, it's intriguing because it's like, what is a company like ours doing in Lafayette? And it just kind of worked out to be in Lafayette. Um, it's attractive from the standpoint that eggs are cheaper in the country. And it's, <laughs> what works good is that <clears throat> that there's this not... This, of a, course, is a metaphor of some kind, right? There's, it's not the actual eggs you're... It, yeah, oh, yeah, no, I'm no, not. So just I'm not selling eggs. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just a eggs, aka people. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> we're we're growing people. Okay? Right. <laughs> I, I can't hold it in no, anymore. Right. <laughs> we're growing people. I was yeah, not afraid that would come intelligence. Up. It's actual intelligence. We're growing people. Okay? I can't hold it anymore. God bless you, really. Cutting edge. <laughs> if I'm going out, I'm going out happy. No, listen. So uh, the. But so it's it's a double-edged sword though because it we have to home grow a lot of our talent, so um, I guess we are really growing humans. But anyway, the <laughs> <laughs> so do you go to like a UL? Is that how you find these folks? Or? I don't do a lot of work with UL. We've done some. I've done talks there, and and you know we get a lot of interns from from that. But it's it's really from all over. What's interesting about our business is that there's so many young people that are self-taught whether it be software coding nowadays or digital marketing or graphic design. So like all, ironically, like all the different types of things that we utilize in what we do, a lot of it can be taught outside of the university. <clears throat> but most of the people that come to work for us, I think probably everybody has a degree. 
Um, Are you training folks inside? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're doing a lot of training inside. Um, we bring in, we, we'll send people to like, you know, AWS, which is yeah, Amazon's sure. big web yeah. service. We use that for a lot of our uh, like engines and um, databases. So we'll send them to different like seminars and uh, educations those ways. And then we also have training programs like when we bring on like a junior developer or a junior uh, associate or something like that. Um, but but it, it, it really is a double-edged sword. There's not a lot of competition. There's not a lot of product companies in Lafayette. You know, Waiter was one that had come out, and, and they did their thing. Uh, we're one of the only product companies. Like, we're an actual technology product in Lafayette. Most of you, what you'll see is people that are developing, like custom development for businesses and what their needs are. So that helps. Like, people are attracted to that. They're attracted to, like, the mission and the fact that, like, there's something going on. So um, it's a combination of people who aren't, ready to leave Lafayette, but have talent, or people that want to come back because they want to have a family. So it's some, and then kind of everything in between, but it's not the easiest place to recruit. Um, but I do find that like the retention is a little bit easier because it, it's not it's not as competitive. Like if you want to compete with our business, like to, to take our employees, for the most part, the employee has to move. Yeah, yeah. Unless, they're working for some sort of gig operation where they're like they're offered work from home all the time and unlimited PTO and you can move to any town you want and I'm going to give you 50 grand more and it's just like okay yeah, you don't necessarily have to worry about competition stealing your employees or anything it's not not the, not in the traditional sense sure yeah. but there's a new threat you know yeah. that's brewing yeah, definitely. Now, now Frankie uh, I know where you, now I get an idea where you're getting the employers from where do you get the data from or is that part of the trade secret no, no. I mean, it, it, I can give you the loose thing. This is great. I didn't even it's, know. Oh, no. How, we were going to need you. How do, how do we even know what to get? Um, you just kind of did the tasting, the chef yeah, tasting. Yeah, this is uh, the producer eats well, everything, guys. and then we just decide yeah, I love from scams. there. Thanks. That's great. <laughs> yeah, get, your picture, get a picture of that. It's beautiful. So this it's is a, an amuse bouche, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, yes, I, I know what say. that is. Trust it me. I mean, you're from a French part of the state. I'm a huge fan. Like, I've actually, I have the pleasure of getting to go to 11 Madison which is a uh, three Michelin star in New York on Friday. Uh, it's oh. kind of, uh, oh, wow. I'm like somewhat addicted, if you will, to uh, the tasting type oh. menus. And, and Commander's Palace is really the only one that we can get anything remotely like that. Of course, one of the, the downside is you have to eat so many. You have to eat a lot of them. to get. Well, the thing really about it is that it's so lips. heavy. So this yeah, is one so of the hardest yeah. tasting menus to do. In New York and in other places, it's smaller place. They're not, and so you, the one I'm going to do on Friday is 14 courses. Oh, it's it's yeah, intense. We, like I have to really talk my wife to into do. it. She I doesn't teach. like to sit that long. Yeah, <laughs> I basically, I I had to ask them if they could like make it a little bit tighter and faster, otherwise she wouldn't agree to come. Yeah, she's like I don't have that much to say. To she you. doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> that and she just doesn't like. I don't know what it is. But see, you notice how quickly I was able to ship. I know, and no one ever does that. That's so great. <laughs> the data. So the thing is, it's, it's public and proprietary databases with, that have information that's available within the, the privacy laws of the United States of America. You know, so you're, you're basically grabbing it from either databases that are public and proprietary, things like property information, deed information, surveys, subscriptions, um, purchase history from like, like consumer transactions. Um, any kind of history with like so big would purchases. these be you're buying it from the company where these purchases were made? Or? So you're, in some cases, okay. yes. Like so, you get a lot of information from credit from companies like Experian or TransUnion. You know, so like it's a you it's a blend 
of hundreds of databases that you're grabbing from. And then in addition to that, you're grabbing from separate databases that are more focused on just mobile IDs and what's happening on like browsers. But you, you want to have a blend to be able to get data from both because the browser data can be very misleading. And are you always looking for additional sources to add to that oh, score? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Most of us want a good job, and if you're an employer, you have an equally ardent desire for good employees. Amy, helping employers and employees find each other is a valuable service. And, and Frankie, once we get used to AI marketing, getting directed to products we didn't know we needed, uh, may well become really viewed as a valuable service as well, albeit one that's a little bit more open to being corrupted. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you both, Amy and Frankie, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Thanks. it's my pleasure. Thanks. My guests at Out to Lunch today have been Amy Baquet, founder and CEO of HR NOLA, and Frankie Russo, venture capitalist and founder and CEO of 360 IA. We edited the show to fit the time slot here at WWNO. You can hear the unedited conversation and find out more about Frankie's AI and Amy's HR by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast wherever you get podcasts. And of course, on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Hope Bird. You can find more of Hope's photos online. Just Google Hope Bird photographer. Bird is spelled B-Y-R-D. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast, and by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world.